Forgotten Flicks, Episode 70, Lady Hawk, 1985. Hello, Governor, and welcome to the Forgotten Flicks Podcast. Since we're doing Lady Hawk, I figure I'll talk like this for the whole Bladen podcast. Hey, Jason, is it <laughs> weird that when I'm doing my Cockney accent now, I make the face like, do you remember in Living Color, Wanda? Hey, word <laughs> up. Like, that's the face I'm making. At, that's maybe part of the problem with the Just impression. Upper teeth. Yeah, I'm like doing like the other lips. I'm like, hey, hey, Govna, word <laughs> up. Word, who you calling ugly? Fool? Hi. Yeah. This is your very bad time to pull out my fire marshal bill. Yeah. Huh? Let me show you something. <laughs> okay, so this would be actually the perfect time to point out this movie is supposed to take place in the south of France. You oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Wow. That tells you how good the accents were. Hold on. Wait, wait. Hold on. Wait. Ha ha! Welcome to the Forgotten Flicks podcast. I am Frenchie, your French host, and I am here with the the lovely, the effervescent, the scrumptious Jason. Thomas, bonjour, el oui oui. Rata ta 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 toy. Ha ha ha. Parlez-vous, stinky cheese? You mean you couldn't? Okay, I'm not even going to go into it. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get into it in a moment, but okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a fun podcast. I want to really quick set this up. Uh, by the way, welcome to Forgotten Flicks Podcast. <laughs> I'm Joel, joined by Jay, uh, joined by Jason, joined as always by Jason. I actually do want to point out before we get into the movie, uh, Banner landmark episode here, number seventy. Really, I would actually reflect see, on yeah, that. Well, for I a would second. say I would say seventy five is more of a banner one, wouldn't you? Uh, okay, but but. That's the di- isn't that the diamond it isn't that the diamond jubilee seventy five seventy five it is yep yep it is uh, I'm amazed we made it this far really quite frankly um it's huh. I was going back the other day and we were talking with a couple of friends of ours and I was uh, looking back at first just at the show art that uh, art the artist Kevin Spencer does for our, for a podcast he's done since October which has just been amazing but even just looking through those and then I started kind of digging back pages and pages and. I can't believe how much we've done. Hey, I mean, hey, really, hey, when hey, are we going to give this up? Yeah, I, oh, Jason, I have a, I have a better question. While you were reminiscing, was the theme from Family Ties playing in the background? baby, without us. And you're just looking through. You're kind of, you, you've actually printed out copies of the the pages from the blog, and you're just kind of thumbing through a photo album just so you can have that aesthetic effect. The oh wow, he's reminiscing. He's gonna cry. There's a tear. There's a, I see it. What we do, I'm just actually baby. surprised you haven't been canceled without <laughs> us. Wouldn't that be great? A podcast. It's not on I any channel. Sends an email, yeah, says, guys. Listen, yeah, we've checked it out. This really I'm, sucks. And open this up to anybody. Yeah, and uh, just so we're clear, we realize we have podcasts, the majority of which were you know discontinued around say mid two thousand seven. Yet we still have them, you know, top tier listed. But you guys are that bad. That and you know what? Thank you so much for the letters from your moms. But yeah, you know, that really doesn't sway yeah. our judgment. In fact, it uh, actually makes us want to cancel you even 
What a dream I was having. Wow, that was actually an accident. <laughs> She's and, always with that us. That letter from Lucas, you know that. <laughs> oh that, yeah, that had a little bit of an impact that, dude, on our decision. Dude, 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 that was a cease and desist. That was. <laughs> For those of you who are listening years in the future, and we've had to pull our Star Wars episode uh, because of some uh, LucasArt or LucasFilm letter we've received, uh, let's just tell you, it was phenomenal. Is that an oxymoron, LucasArt? Ooh. Or LucasFilm. And there it is. That's what... (laughs) I love the arrogance that, like, anybody... Like, Luke, the lowliest peon. They They have interns working for free... You know, just doing nothing but getting coffee and hand jobs in the back. Those people don't even listen to this show. So I, I think we're safe. I think we're safe. Yeah. So anyway, yes. reminisce, uh, completo. I just wanted to say, lady, it's nineteenth or the seventieth episode. Seventieth episode is amazing to me. It just kind of hit me. I don't know why, but it's a lot. Don't cry. Do you want to do our special uh, announcement now or at the end? Uh, we'll do it at the end because I want everybody to listen to the end. We've got a super cool announcement at the end. You have to stick through this entire thing. You do thing understand that if it doesn't pay off, they're going to be really pissed. That's okay. Okay. S- send your hate mail to ForgottenFlix at gmail.com. Or, or Joel at ForgottenFlix.com. Yeah, that works. <laughs> yes. So, Jay, so we're doing Ladyhawk, right? And yes. I just want to set this up before we get into whether we liked it, didn't like it, whatever. Yes, D&D, please. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, why did we put this on the list? Uh, you know, some of the, some yes. of the backstory. Well, here's the key. Number one. This is a Jason thing. This, this I, when I was, I usually, you know, kind of go through and and I would say, Jason, would you would you make the argument? I know Kevin Spencer would probably disagree with this assessment, mm-hmm. but I'd say I usually set up like a kind of a master list. Like I did this at the beginning of the year, like a big master list, and I had the attitude of like, okay, we these are movies Jason I've talked about, we'd want to do, and. We both would go, yeah, I'd say, okay, Jay, these are the ones you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I really like that. And I, and I said, well, I want to make sure this year, because the first year I was, uh, you know, I know it's going to be shocking to learn, I was pretty, you know, selfish, and uh, picked mostly <laughs> movies I wanted to talk about. Garbage Pail Kids especially, by the way. And <laughs> I actually, in all seriousness, before I ever did the podcast, that was in my head. I was like, I totally want to do, I wouldn't actually be so brazen as to do a podcast episode of Garbage Pail Kids in the movie. God, do I regret that thought. So anyway, not to completely digress. So let's just say that hypothetically that schedule changes periodically. Right, Kevin? And and then let's say hypothetically the douche nozzle who set it up forgets to mention it to said artist who has like zero turnaround time as it is to you know get us free stuff but yeah that's beside the point and then jason's like what we're doing what this week oh god dang it joel um yeah (laughs) so i said this year damn it i'm gonna throw jason a couple of bones and he is gonna have and i remember him telling me early on that he was a fan of lady hawk when he was a kid i focused and then we brought it up again when we covered blind fury with Rutger. that's right it was right was that your pick no, uh, we had six picks back then. <laughs> so. Oh, was it? What did we start? Really? Wow. Back in the day. So, one yes. My, it was, yeah, I, I just remember one of my picks back then was Rambo with Birds. Oh, that's right. I remember that. I still the name of it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, this might have been one, but we at least talked about it, yes, I know. And yes, and I, and I think at that time, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm assuming if we talked about it, I probably said, I never watched it in its entirety. I remember specifically my uh, uncle who owned a TV repair shop and was you know, real big into uh, uh, covering movies. Um, <laughs> he, um, I mean, you know, of course, you know, allegedly. Um, and it was back in the old days of VHS. Back in the 70s. Yeah, back in the 1980s. 
Uh, and we would we would hit the movie warehouse or the armchair theater, like the back when you had mom and pop video stores, which interestingly yeah. you're starting to get, I guess, a little bit more of now because all the chains are dead. So anyway, he rented Lady Hawk. And I heard about it. I remember the seeing the trailers on TV. I guess as a little as a kid, because this came out in 85, I was like, what, nine-ish, uh, you know, pushing ten. For some reason, I wasn't I liked kind of scary stuff, stuff with monsters to some degree. I wasn't like a huge horror buff at 10, but, you know, I was more into that kind of thing than yeah. the whole sword sorcery kind of stuff. Like sci-fi, that kind of thing, that was fine. Uh, fantasy, uh, a la Garbage Pail Kids, uh, or Masters of the Universe, that kind of stuff was even okay. But for some reason, like the sword and sorcery type thing, not my cup of tea for the most part. So the medieval kind of setting, yeah, that meh, was not your meh, That's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's like fine. the whole, you know, Arthurian legend and knights So this one it. kind of is one of the, I, I don't want to say bigger is in box office, but bigger names because it had a lot of... At the time, I seem to remember stars. it being talked about a lot. Right. Okay. And so this is kind of one of the ones, and, and that's where you and I have talked about this year's uh, list and going into 2013. Uh, we want to balance it out with some of those movies that have slipped under your radar, uh, which are fewer than the ones that have slipped under mine, so... We did want to plug in some that you actually had never seen in the beginning. Yes, and that you could come, and that, and also then it challenges you from the standpoint of oh, you you have a memory that you loved it, but we, exactly, we, which is an aspect of the forgotten and forgotten flicks, which is that we ourselves think we remember these movies and then we rewatch them and we're like, oh dear God, <laughs> which is the whole concept behind CND cinematic yes. nostalgia disorder, yep. which is we tend to have fonder memories of films than if we rewatch them and realize that. What has happened to me and why was I such an idiot at when I was 10 years old? So. And, and I know that everyone listening is going to be shocked to learn this show is actually one big psychological experiment. <laughs> we're actually doing a study. We're actually Jason and I are two <laughs> graduate students that are that are uh, we work in the field of and, brainology. And we work for um, Dr. Doofenshmirtz. Dr. Doofenshmirtz. Yes. <laughs> um, and much like the peons uh, at Lucas uh, Film. We do that too, and Coffee and hand jobs. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. and uh, not to each other. Just so we're clear, and we're not. Hello, it's why not, would I ever give you coffee? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, everything else is on the table. I mean, come on, come on, come on. So yes, we do. Uh, we are in the science. Uh, we are in the brain sciences. Science of brains. Science of brains, and uh, he's prefrontal. I'm lower lobe, and together we are trying to determine. The effect of nostalgia of of how people perceive the past versus the present versus the future by way of cinematic experiences that is really at the core. This show is actually pretty damn subversive because we snooker in with this is just a stupid, cheesy and again, air quote fingers entertaining podcast. But no, people, this has a deeper, more profound meaning. But yeah, all all bullshit aside, we, we, we watch you that little light in your cable box and yes yes jeremy i saw you you really should keep your pants <laughs> especially when you're listening to jason <laughs> i know i know his laugh does it for you my friend but so lady hawk i yes. remember them starting it and i remember maybe i lasted 15 minutes that's what she said maybe <laughs> Oh, when your uncle rented it? You got yes. like 15 minutes in and you kind of got disinterested? And- um, that is the understatement of the year. I actually have a very strong sense memory, much like, it's sort of like the reverse of CND. My sense memory of the movie was, I think I'm going to go out and huff paint and watch snails fry on the sidewalk because that would be more entertaining. 
Uncle Bob, do you have a gas can out in your garage? <laughs> yeah, because honestly, I see my, my sense memory of this movie was boring as hell, which is precisely why it is taken from 1985 to 2012 for me and this show to re right, to watch it. You need some kind of motivator to Sometimes you do. Yes. Over that. Okay. Yeah. So, do we have a trailer for it? We do in fact have a trailer for it, Jay. Okay. So, I and want everybody just, to remember that this was Jason's if... choice. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to hit play on the trailer. Play the trailer. It's a John Carpenter movie. Escape from Southern Matthew France. Broderick, a pickpocket who thought that anything was better than prison. Little did he know what he'd escaped from wasn't half as strange or frightening as what he'd stumbled into. I do not believe what I believe, Lord. These are magical, unexplainable matters, and I beg you not to make me a part of them. The knight who had saved him wanted only two things. To free his lover and to take his revenge. I have waited almost two years for a sign from God. Sir, the truth is I talk to God all the time. And no offense, but he never mentioned you. The pickpocket was the key to his plan. But would you send a thief to guard your treasure? He was the last one in the world. To act like a hero, it just happened by itself. And he was drawn into a magical, romantic adventure. Matthew Broderick, Michelle Pfeiffer, Rutger Howard, Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. Every time I hear someone say Michelle Fiverr's name, Jim Carrey completely ruined it for me because when he was Vera DeMilo on In Living Color, there's one oh. part where he's like holding, supposedly they tear his top off and he's like taking his fingertips to cover his nipples. <laughs> and he's like, eat your heart out, Michelle Fiverr. And it was just something about it to this <laughs> oh day. God. Every time I hear it, that's all I picture, which sucks because Michelle Fiverr is Touching his nipple. Yeah, as Vera DeMilo. Lights out yep. Michelle Pfeiffer. Eat your heart out. Michelle Pfeiffer. Sad, man. Yeah. So, yeah, so can, Lady Hawk, I Jay. can at least say that Scarface, at least kind of, that's the image of her that burns mm, in my head. She really? looks like the coke head kind of. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. Anyway. I kind of so. think that movie's overrated. Scarface? Yeah. We'll have to put that on. Yeah, put maybe on sometime. So. I think it's overrated. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, the synopsis of this movie, and, and uh, for those of you who have not seen it, although one of the reasons we did add this to the list beyond the fact that Joel has never seen it and I have, is uh, we do have a couple of fans out in the audience of it. So that's part of the reason why we toss in every so often a fan favorite. But for those of you who haven't seen it, it stars Matthew Broderick uh, as Philippe the Mouse, and he he's the opening of the movie. Basically, he's a thief that's in this major prison in the south of France, apparently, uh, in the medieval times. Uh We'll say 1200s-ish, somewhere around there. Yeah, well, well, recently enough that uh, Rucker Howard's character's father, I guess, was in the Crusades, so. Uh, yes, which happened for a long time, by the way. Yeah, true, so, but I got, I mean, I got like, the, I mean. Yes, because he yeah. talked about, yeah, they, they, they mentioned that. Yeah. So um, Rutger Hauer plays uh, the role of Captain Navarre, who is kind of a black knight, but not an evil black knight. He's a dark figure um, with a hawk, and uh, this hawk um is on his arm all the time, and he at one oh, point whoa, whoa. saves... You know what just occurred to me? 
You know, it just occurred to me, my friend. Just now? Like you didn't think this up beforehand? And... Nope. Excuse me. Excuse me. Spoiler alert, please. Oi. Thank you for that spoiler alert, JV of jvmail.com with a much better, much better British accent. Absolutely. Even and, though this uh, movie is not in the UK, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, although common misconception because a lot of people think medieval, they they immediately go to they think of Arthur and, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, you know all that. So that's and, but yet the movie was actually shot in Italy. Wasn't the movie shot in Italy? Uh, was it shot in Italy? Yes, it was. Oh uh, wow! So you know, there, there it is. Hmm. <sighs> Europe to us Americans, it's just that crazy place overseas that has funny silver coins. I mean, come on, yeah, come on. <laughs> hey, let yeah. me let me tell y'all something. <laughs> Let me tell you how it goes down here. You're not in America. Yeah. You're not America. Yeah. America. Land yeah. no, free. Yeah. Freedom fries. <laughs> Freedom. Freedom fries. Freedom. We do not call them French fries anymore. No. no. Frenchies. Excuse, excuse me. Excuse me. I want to tell you something. Actually, I got nothing to say. Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, Rutger Howard plays Captain Navarre, and uh, he is this knight that saves Philippe at one point, who is trying to escape from the guards and escape from prison. Uh, and sort of takes him in as his ward, almost a squire-ish, but they don't go to that extent. Um, and then Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, the third big name in this, plays uh, the character Isabeau. And Isabeau is a kind of a lost soul in love with Navarre, but the two of them can never be together. And uh, Philippe sort of helps her as well. Um, and then the bad guy is the bishop. Uh, he plays this kind of lustful, demonistic character. Um, who is ruling kind of like a king, really. And he's got a couple of bad guys that go out and do his bidding, Captain Guard people that are... Some of them are torn between Captain Navarre, who used to be the captain of the guards, and uh, uh, the, the new guy, which... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't look up his name, but he's got the cool goatee and everything. So um, so the story is... Spoiler! Yeah, if you're new to the show... This kicks in early. Yeah, the, n- yes. if you're new to the show... We spoil the hell out of it, so and we go don't ahead. want to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. So yeah, because God knows we wouldn't want to do that. We've had 30, 40 years to see this movie, almost forty years. So forty years, yeah. what the uh, hell? thirty years, almost thirty years. Dear God, man, don't make us older than. <laughs> Sorry, twenty-seven <laughs> something years. So um, you've had many decades. How's that? I can't count anymore. The gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you haven't seen this movie. The crux of the entire movie is the curse, and the curse is basically that Rutger Hauer is a man during the day when there is sunlight. As soon as the sun sets, he becomes this big, giant black wolf all night, and then he turns back into a man. That's a metaphor for something. I'm not sure what. I'm thinking a wolf at night. Mm -hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer's character, who was his lover and uh, – character that the bishop fell in love with and when he couldn't have her and she was in love with Navarre, kind of tragic romance, he put this curse on the two of them, that Michelle Pfeiffer, during the daylight, she is a hawk, and at night, she becomes human. So, it's kind of this... Dude, I just got it. She's a lady and a hawk. (laughs) Crap! How'd you like like the name drop in this? uh, So... 
Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, uh, Matthew Broderick plays Philippe, who is this really, uh, he doesn't really want to be part of this. He, he's uh, kind of a, a liar, a thief, a uh, uh, um, low-life sort of character with a sense of humor. But he doesn't want to be part of all this. He just wants to kind of run away. And he gets snared up to help them. And along the way, he decides that he really does want to help them. He kind of uh, likes the the Captain Navarre, and he kind of gets attached to him because he saves him a couple times. And he definitely likes Isabeau because she's kind of a hottie. She's friggin' Michelle Pfeiffer for the love of God. Exactly. So he kind of gets caught up in those, and he along the way helps them to the resolution, which we'll get to in a minute. But that's really the crux of the movie is them traveling the countryside and uh, Captain Navarre is going to find the bishop to kill him to get his revenge. And so yes. they play through those couple of days and, and, and that. So Yeah, it's um that's that's pretty much it. In but a, a couple of a couple of key characters in here I wanted to point out before we get into your thoughts on it, because I want to start with my thoughts on it. So Oh, do you? <laughs> yes I do. So, <laughs> So the first character that I thought was really cool and who I love in this is uh, Leo McKern. He plays mm-hmm. um, the monk, this drunken monk named Father Imperius that they find in the ruins of this castle who, it turns out, you find out, spoiler, is the one who snitched on Navarre and Isabeau that they were having an affair that ended up causing this curse to happen. So he's turned into this, the coolest hair in this entire movie, um, this <laughs> I think it's very telling that all of your positive <laughs> remarks so far have been about grooming, which is really appropriate considering your name. Um, but the fact that yes. the, go, the cool goatee, the best <laughs> hair, it's no, all wait. unkempt individuals, too, I might point out. Yeah, well, I, li- I like the unkempt being the chimp-like individual that I am, <laughs> or rabid gerbil, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he is actually, uh, uh, or was, um, he passed away in 2002, but he is actually a very well-known British actor. He's fantastic, very... Shakespearean. Uh, um, yeah, you're, but you're you're totally making a point of why I would have thought this was the south of France. Yeah, I know. And you know, the other thing is because uh, he was uh, he's been in a lot of stuff for many many years. I mean, he started the movies back in the fifties. But um, the other one is John Wood. Yeah, John Wood played the bishop, mm-hmm. and uh, John Wood played in um, a and bunch I, of things. What I most... know him from because he looks very familiar, and I couldn't. Well, the the thing that he played just before this with. Matthew Broderick is he played War um, Games. He was the guy yes. who created the friggin' computer. That's where I knew him from. David. The, was it David? Was the character name? Or was that? Yeah, it was David. He was one of the Stephen, created. Stephen. Stephen Falking. Oh, Stephen. Falcon. Okay. Well, David um, was he David. Was Falcon and David was Joshua. the name of Matthew Broderick. Yes. yes okay. Yes. That's so what. Matthew okay. Broderick and then Joshua um, was the computer. Joshua was the name of the password, which was uh, Falcon's yeah. son who yeah, died. Yeah, that's right. Now it's all coming. See, yeah. War Games. That's what we should do. Oh, definitely. So uh, John Wood, uh, he he's from uh, he's from the UK, he's from Oxford, and he actually uh, plays the bishop in this. So there are a lot of British characters. Yeah, totally understandable accents. why I would have uh, missed yeah. the whole Southern France <laughs> thing. Okay, now here's the other kind of the, the one sub story that's in this. There wasn't what really a lot. I mean, this was a very kind of focused on these char- these central characters was the most of the movie. But um, the guy that played Cesar, yes. Cesar was a wolf hunter, yep. and the bishop called him and said, you need to go kill this wolf. Well, Cesar comes back, and he's got a whole horse full of wolf pelts. Which I'm assuming you loved Cesar's look as well, crazy hair, crazy oh, beard. Oh, man, he had, like, the sleeping in the mud, rolling around under a tree for 50 years kind of look. He was 
he was quite the caveman. You just know, guy. you just know he smelled of dead oxen ass <laughs> and dirty gym socks. You just know it. He, he smelled like horse poop. I won't mention why. Uh, and skinned wolves, I think. I think so, it's probably a safe bet. Yeah. Um, yes, he definitely had an unkempt look about him, and uh, a, a bit of a, uh, a, a bit of a medieval pauper, plagueish, living in a squalor kind of feel to him, mm-hmm. uh, and very wide-eyed, very yes, <laughs> very kind of crazy. So I saw him, and and I thought. God, where have I seen him? Oh yeah, him? I knew who it was the second I saw him. What, what did I know him from? Because it's there's always some, there's always like one key moment for a lot of these actors. I mean, I know they, uh, we've talked about the many actors that we've talked about have been in a lot of different films, but in my brain, there's always that one moment, like a scene from a very specific movie. Or I, I bet I can the, guess what it is. The first time that I've seen them, or the time that I've seen them that had the biggest impact, and I remember. I bet them I can from. guess what time it was. Okay, it's really the only movie he ever really did. No, he's been in a he's been a, a well, I guess he does a lot of TV. No, um, but no, he, no, he's no, been in no, a bunch. No, nope, nope. The only the biggest role. Okay, had. so where I you're probably right. We we haven't talked about this beforehand. Where do you think I remembered him from most? <clears throat> Ready? Yes. Throw me the whip. No time to argue. <laughs> <laughs> Adios, señor. <laughs> Cut to spears to his head. Indy, uh, yep. grabbing the idol from him. Yes, he's Ad- the guy Adios that Indiana stupido. Jones brushes the tarantulas off his back. With yes, his of course, it's actually and... he's been in a crap ton of stuff. He was Doc yes, Ock, but, for God's sake. But that was the first thing that really grabbed me was uh, that. I was like, I, where did I see him from? But then I looked him up. Of course, he's been in a ton now, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, Alfred Molina, man. He's been in, he's yes. a great. He's actually a very good actor. I love him a lot. Very good. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And he actually had a very tiny role in this. He did not play much uh, of a character in this. And it was he wasn't a very but, long. By the way, by the way, by the way. British actor, just just say it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. I actually often prefer them because, unfortunately, there's a lot of American actors who can't act. Um, but that being yeah, and actually don't have uh, British accents. So or when they do, it sounds an awful lot like ours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So anyway, so those are some of the key characters. So um, I, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I remember seeing it back in the late '80s, probably. Um, VHS, and then you and I talked about uh, the other day because you dug up an old cable TV guide <laughs> uh, back when it said 400 programs. Yeah, that was for awesome. I, I, and I agree with Jason. <laughs> I need to either take pictures or scan it because yeah, it's I think actually you need to scan it in. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's a, the guide that uh, from the the summer that we first got HBO, and I just started doing my you know it's like it was 88. I think it was supposed to be. I think like, it was 88. Yeah. yeah, it was like one of the local like cable guides that you got. It had like I, I love the legend, the key with. All four channels. <laughs> and there are breeze because you totally would lose yourself if you couldn't see that HBO was, in fact, home box office. Yes. And SHUW um, was Showtime. Wait, what was the CMX? Cinemax, right? Or was it MAX? I think, they should, I think they did Max. I think oh, they, Max, that's right. They did and Max. then I think, but the movie channel was the other one. Yeah. TMC, right. which is different now. Um, so this is one I'd seen a bunch of times uh, when it was out on cable and HBO at the Times and um, uh, VHS, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Okay. And I had very, very fond memories of Are it. Are you sure you want to go first? I do. Okay. <laughs> I do. Because, listen, I make you go first on movies that I know you love, and so I kind of sit back and wait to destroy them. Yes. To, to try <laughs> so, and make me cry. 
Um, You've come close a couple times, I might add. So I'm not going to BS about this. I, I, I used to really like this movie. It was a big one of mine. Um, so I rewatched it, but it's been a couple of years. So I sat down and rewatched the whole thing. A couple of things I will, I will admit about this movie I don't like. Okay? And because it's a much shorter list. I will be honest right up front with that. I'm not BSing. The one thing that stood out to me that I didn't remember about this movie that was, I mean, I will admit there were some scenes this sucked really bad. There were plenty of times when the music was, what the fuck? Dude, <laughs> okay. that is the understatement of the <laughs> effing millennium. But continue. I'm watching this and I'm thinking, wait a second. Why are they doing like 80s synth vibe when he's riding his horse across the countryside as a knight with his sword? And they're doing this like 80s driving. That's the whole movie, though. It isn't, and if you pay attention, there's only a, it's only mainly like the big traveling scenes. Dude, it's no, 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 points. no, no. That 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 tone they, they never use like orchestral music. It's because first off, Alan Parsons. Yeah, they don't. Did you catch uh, who the music producer was on this? No, I didn't even. Now, look I it up. can't remember the composer. I, I did could look it up, but um, Alan Parsons of Alan Parsons Project was the producer. I actually like uh-huh. his music outside of this, and I, he didn't compose it, but he produced. I guess, Andrew he, Powell. Andrew Powell. I re- I can't remember where I read it, but recently I read that this was rated by several organizations, I guess, that matter, as one of, if not the worst, the worst sound score of any movie <laughs> in history. Because it's just so, it's so anachronistic. I think that's the real key. I, yeah. It, made, it reminded me of, like, how, you remember A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger? Which I think is yeah. in Paul Bettany. I think it's a great movie. And that movie gets the anachronism of... Using like rock and roll and, and more, yes, and, like you know, relatively, music, yes, you know, more contemporary music with that to capture and, a certain tone. This movie, right. you're like, it just doesn't. It feels like, they, yeah, it was weird. It was like, yeah. I don't get it. That that part definitely threw me off, and I did not remember that uh, from when I watching it as a kid. But I just listening to it, I was thrown off, and I commented many times. I made like five notes on it <laughs> um, because even at one point when uh, uh, Philippe and um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, uh, Isabeau, they they have kind of this moment of friendship when they're in the stable and and he's telling her things that Navarre had said, which he didn't, but he's trying to make her feel better. And he says, come on, milady, let's dance. And just they do kind of a medieval dance. They're, they're yeah. kind of doing a um, – but the song they play, and I, and I looked this up on uh, Wikipedia and on IMDb, is actually an authentic Italian medieval tune played on an authentic flute okay dude that's the only time right now i kept thinking to myself why didn't they make the entire score for the entire thing much more uh time period appropriate why didn't they go back to more of the original uh uh, classical music and something and it didn't even have to be original songs original composition just throwing in even mozart well you know what i i actually think i know exactly why because it's 1985 it was actually, we haven't mentioned this yet, it was directed by Richard Donner. So that year, he had this movie and uh, Goonies. Yes. So, I and think... And Donner, and, and, and I won't knock, I, I, no matter what anybody says, I won't knock Donner, even though, you know, some of the movies aren't my favorite, but he's done some of the most iconic films of the 80s that are some of my favorite. Lethal Weapon, The Goonies, um, uh, Scrooge, which we've covered, um, you know, Superman, so he's fantastic, but... You there? Yeah. 
Okay, you dropped out. You said he's fantastic, and then you were silent. Was that your point? Because I didn't no, know if you were no. still. Uh, yeah, he. No, I just think he's. I think he's a great director. But the the only thing I got lost on this was was the music. Okay. Um, because there are plenty of things about this that I like. Uh, nay, love. First of all, um, I am a huge Matthew Broderick fan, and I watched this, and I actually rewatched a couple of scenes where he kind of had a little bit of monologue or where he was speaking again, and I thought, you know, he does exactly what I hated Kevin Costner did in Robin Hood. He has no accent whatsoever. Uh, no, no, Kevin Costner is... had an accent. It just kept coming and going. <laughs> and so at one point it turned into a Keanu Reeves impression. I'll never forget. He gets off the boat with Morgan Freeman's character and he goes, mistletoe. And it's like, is that supposed to be Southern California? <laughs> yeah. Southern uh, Wales? I'm not really sure where he was going with it, but. Yeah. And, and so I, I recognize that he does not have an accent and that none of them have an accent that really fits um, the, the, the location or the time period really. But I, love Matthew Broderick and I found myself thinking oh some of his dialogue is kind of cheesy but it I found myself chuckling out loud in spite of myself at some of the jokes that he was saying and I just thought you know what screw this I am not going to apologize I really love Matthew Broderick and and almost everything I've seen him in I just love his character and his in his style uh, that he does I also love Rutger Hauer so in this he was definitely kind of the, the typical badass that he plays, and he was definitely a scary kind of guy. Um, and I had the hots for Michelle Pfeiffer the entire eighties. Um, I'm pretty confident if you're a, if you were a hetero male, <laughs> maybe even if you weren't, you had. Yeah. I think even even hetero females probably had the hots for Michelle Pfeiffer because dear uh, God, yeah. it's almost she's like I will say this: she's almost too beautiful. Like she's almost no, too but she's perfect. Not... You know what I'm saying? Like I like I no, like no. my be- I like my beauty a little bit flawed. It makes it human. Doesn't but she it? seems no. But she seems to me that's why I like her. Not that she's flawed, but that she is not supermodel. I mean, she is not. You know, I don't mean like that. No, she definitely doesn't seem fake or plastic or anything. But she's so, especially back then. I think she thinks she aged pretty well. I mean, I'm sure she's had some work done, but it's not like the uh, ridiculous over the top. You know. Meg no, Ryan, she looks like a God, what did you do? Woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, like, and maybe, oh, wow, and, and, but I think, the, but I think again that quote unquote little, you know, if we're going to talk in a, you know purely shallow terms of 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 flaws in in what <laughs> yes, I was just let's let's both point out right now for the uh, viewing audience, uh, we have never actually <laughs> we're what <laughs> and I, we don't we don't know her, <laughs> so we are commenting uh, completely from a distance. <laughs> well, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes. <laughs> don't don't tell them our secret. Uh, I thought you were going to say that we just had no friggin' room to be talking. So so like if we're saying no. that her beauty you know has a now inherent flaw, but I think it's an actual benefit of yeah. being more, we'll say PC mature, um we have no. the reverse problem. <laughs> we're completely flawed. We just uh just a and little very immature. So we are Im- the exact opposite <laughs> of her. Exactly. Yes. But she is she is an absolute uh, Gorgeous woman to me, and in, in, in especially through the '80s, and I think she still is now. Um, but she was one of my favorite female leads, and so I really enjoyed the movie. Now, it wasn't a action-packed, um, everything keeps you on the edge of your seat kind of energy movie, but it was a it was a slow burn. I thought there was a lot of cool moments. Um, the story to me was very intriguing. Hey, and- Jason, can I, can I just say something real quick? No, because you're done. Now that you're done, like man gushing all over the. Uh- <laughs> 
movie. I just want to add this in. A slow burn is hemorrhoids. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the opposite of CND is, where you hated a movie as a kid, and then you grow up and go, damn, I was a smart nine-year-old. <laughs> I'm not even going to build up Wait, to this. What? My exact line, my exact line I wrote, and I told I, I said this to my wife. I was like, you know, hon, I think if I was going to be the, do the snooty film critic thing, because you know they always have to have the quote-unquote clever uh, title where they do some I, I wouldn't even be that clever with it I just had a beautifully shot bore it was a what? gorgeous movie like Vittorio Storero the guy who did the, the DP did Apocalypse Now yeah, and yeah. Last Emperor Last Tango in Paris fantastic oh, DP and I mean there were yeah. moments in this movie visually stunning okay I will give it that all day long the fight scenes let's just start there I'm just gonna start right there it was like it was like they had a dump in their pants <laughs> It was like fighting in armor, you Nimrod. No, no, look, look, look. You do not, no, dude. You do not get to make the. Oh, we're going to keep this authentic, Governor. (laughs) (laughs) This is by you. The whole time they're fighting, I'm thinking, yeah, I bet this is exactly what it looks like. Which is precisely why, if I had been there at that time, I would have probably gotten really bored and walked away while they just killed (laughs) each other. Because it's, but yet we'll have the the sort of ghetto Alan Parsons project wannabe music throughout. Yeah, we'll wait, be, we'll be an not, actor. Now, wait a second. Now, seriously. Okay. <laughs> seriously. You're doing this on purpose. You did not, not find that final fight scene where... I, I it, felt nothing. I was dead. What? I'm not joking. I Shut could, up. I, I swear you to you. Lying. I swear. I swear no, this is not payback for Sonic Redemption. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Shut up. When he's fighting... I uh, couldn't care less. I was kind of hoping he would die and there'd be a twist. <laughs> I'm serious. What? I'm serious. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> when he realizes at one point, or when he thinks at one point at the end that Isabeau is dead, I felt. And he, you want, I can tell you, I can tell you that. precisely why. I know exactly. I could pinpoint why I felt nothing through this whole movie. I, I really didn't give a shit. I'm serious. I didn't give a shit. Because this is the inherent pro- problem with the story. The, the story itself. The this, this movie to me is a example of a movie that was poorly executed and could really benefit from a remake because there's a lot of potential there. I thought there's a lot of potential there. The reason why I say it was an unmitigated bore to me was because we're the main character. And I understand it would have been very difficult, and this is the problem with the setup of the movie, if the main character had been either Rucker Howard or Michelle Pfeiffer, because they're the only ones that have a real substantial goal in this, okay? So from a storytelling perspective, they're the only ones whose goals really matter, because theirs is life and death. I felt like with Mouse, it was like, I get why he has to be the kind of go-between you, uh, you know, he's kind of like playing like almost like Watson to Sherlock Holmes or to, you know, or like kind of in the Great Gatsby had Nick. And, and it's like the, the observer character who just kind of comments. But the problem is he has no real, other than escaping from the prison, I didn't feel like he himself, other than he kind of at one point is hot for Michelle Pfeiffer and owes this guy's life. So I get that that would at least connect him. I just never felt the same level of an intense driving goal to get him to stick or, you know through the whole movie and and as a result because he's the focal point their story i was like meh eh, whatever uh, his whole story is the fact that he is basically this this uh, paradox of someone who seemingly talks to god but has no soul oh yeah can we get into that but can we get can we get hold on hold on i'm addressing your point here first of all so 
he has no soul and has no compassion like, for like anybody the, else. By the way, but like the movie itself. Continue. Uh, what? You said he had no soul, and I said he liked the movie itself. Continue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they hurt me. You didn't like this? Are you serious? You didn't like this? As a heart attack, brother. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Suck. Okay, but his whole story was I, that. I love that was... this is a personal, suddenly this is a personal attack on you. If Assault on a Precinct 13 was not a personal attack on me, no, there is. <laughs> oh, wait, you should have stopped and go, um, it was. <laughs> and you deserved it. Yeah, um, that's true. So, <laughs> but his whole story was that he was, he thought about nothing but himself the entire time. And so he comes across these two people who do nothing but live for someone they will never see. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a brilliant concept. I just think it was poorly executed. I didn't care. And the other problem is because they're never on screen. Okay. I guess you want to make the argument that Rooker Howard had fantastic chemistry with a bird and Michelle Pfeiffer had fantastic chemistry with a dog. Then, yes, wow, I was really moved. But considering they're never friggin' on screen together until the end of the damn movie, I never got invested. I didn't care. I actually love the fact that they uh, never, I mean, that's part of, what was that? Uh, I'm not even going to get into that. I was going to talk about that romantic comedy that came out not that long ago about the lake house and some, you know, Another movie somebody. I flipping hate. <laughs> I've never seen it. I never. Oh will. my god! I saw it, dude. I, I did you really? I would have rather have been as much as I don't like like hostile, you know, and the whole torture burn thing. I would have oh, much yeah. rather not just seen those movies. I would have rather been <laughs> in them for real than sit through that movie again. The only thing I know of that movie is the Family Guy bit, where it basically shows Keanu Reeves walking up to the mailbox, <laughs> unzipping his pants, and stepping up to the mailbox. <laughs> See, that's brilliant. That the whole movie would have benefited from that. Anyway. So, <laughs> where the hell were we going? I, I don't know. I love that I, you derailed I, us with, no, of all things, I, the lake house. So, but that, I mean, that movie, okay, the, the, the story was that the characters were never together. I uh-huh. liked it in this. They weren't together. Yeah. That actually so worked be, for me okay, better. Let's, because let, wait, when it let's got extrapolate. To, wait, 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 when it got to the end, and he's all like, here's a bow, and he lifts her up. That, to me, wasn't as cool as that the, the love of absence the love of that they couldn't be together that to me was yeah. actually better H- hold on wait jay wait for it <laughs> I, it took me three times to get through this movie dude no it didn't I, I, ready I, st- I watched the first hour last night <laughs> i'm not joking it had an ad it's over two hours long right just a hair yeah, it's two oh four. So I can be clu- including credits, yeah. including credits. That's true. Okay. Credits. Yep. We again credits kick ass synth. You know, which it, 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 let's keep this in mind, people. The music is so bad. I, I am the one who was defending John Carpenter's synth <laughs> honor and the Southern Precinct Thirteen <laughs> score. This guy is the one that was ripping apart. This movie almost made me hate all synth music. <laughs> it was not. It, it, it is that bad. It is that it was destroyed. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe the music a bit more John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, bombastic and powerful well, woodwinds and brass. And, admit, and if this even oh, had had a God. score, even and now I'm not a, a huge fan of the the Robin Hood score, and I hate to keep equating it to that. But if it had a Brad, um, Brian Adams love ballad. Then but yes, it had it a would. Brian Adams power ballad, love ballad in it, and it had some Everything actually good. I do. I, it actually had some good orchestral music. Was it James Horner it. that did that? It was somebody uh, big. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was Horner. And so if this had had something like that, it actually probably would have done, you know, I don't know, much, much better. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't, I, I think Richard Donner is, a, is a, he's an interesting 
director because some directors fall into that whole auteur theory, which I want to be contrarian about and argue that that to some degree that's a bunch of BS. But that beside the point. <laughs> I want to start a big fight with oh the auteur theory, uh, but but I feel like he's more of a craftsman, like a more of a, like a journeyman type of a director because he does movies so all over the map. I mean, you think of like yeah. the yep. big directors, uh, especially going from like the seventies on, even back to Hitchcock. They always have certain thematic, at least similarities. I mean, he does too to a point, but he's all over the map. He does Superman. Yeah. He does this. He did Scrooge. He did Maverick. But- I- you know, Lethal Weapon. But you think about some of the movies he's done. I mean, you think about something like uh, Superman. Obviously, John Williams, brilliant uh, composer. Yes. Um, that blew it away. And you think about uh, Scrooge. I mean, it had a really good uh, soundtrack to it. I mean, it was not contemporary. It was definitely orchestral, and it had this. Well, I think cool... we go. But I think your point, though, maybe, and that may, in fact, be uh, the problem with this movie for me. Yeah. It might be that the music was. So, I actually, the only note I wrote of the, mu- the music, music is distracting. That's all I wrote because it just was. Yeah. It literally yeah. put. So I listen. I watched the first hour, and it was getting a little late, and uh, we had uh, the last episode of the Colony season two to watch, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You turn this movie off to, to finish watch the, the freaking Colony. colony. And, I, yes, and I don't even like reality TV that much. So, so I totally watched that, and then I went to bed. I got up at five something in the morning, determined to finish it. I delayed. I walked my Great Pyrenees around a darkened neighborhood, <laughs> sipping coffee, stumbling through the darkness. Wait, I have to clip my toenails. Uh, yeah, oh, yes. yes, I have to pull out my ear hair. Yes, back oh, to the wait. slow burn. I had to get my tux medicated pads because that would have been less painful Let to me. Let me sit on this bag of peas first. Yes, and then I got on an exercise bike. The only way I could get through it was to exercise while watching it. I got through another 30 or 40 minutes of it, had to stop it again because I'm, I'm getting ready for work. And I'm like, I really have to focus as I iron. See, that's why. I argue at least Assault on Precinct 13, I sat through. I couldn't. It was so boring, dude. I literally, (laughs) I felt time slowing down. In one hand, it was good because things go by so fast these days. But it really, it was almost like bizarre. Like I felt like it was in this dimension where everything just slowed down. Like, (laughs) and I think the other thing that drove me nuts about it is all the little monologues that that Mouse had. Like, let me, let me play the role of Joel. Uh, it's because this is a character piece. Are you telling me you don't like character pieces? No, actually, I love some character pieces, especially when they're not boring as watching paint dry. <laughs> and especially when, quite frankly, they sell themselves as being a rollicking adventure film. And they yeah, were this bare- is not a rollicking. No, it's this not. This is not Willow. And maybe, it, maybe to some degree, that's the other problem. I went in with a certain level of expectation that at the very least, and I think what it was is like that first fight scene when Rucker Howard shows up, it was so just... Uh, like grabs him and just kind of clunky kicks somebody. And I get that it felt authentic. It felt like, yeah, that's probably what it was like to fight in armor. But it was really friggin' boring to watch. Like, you're like, oh. It's not like when you see a real fight. It's never like the movies. The movies, it's right, cool, right. And it's awesome. But like, they were like, sure, they're actually on the ground. Yeah, it's... and then it's done. It's like they kind of just, <laughs> you know, making, like dry humping each other. It doesn't really look like a fight. <laughs> This movie to me was like that, like everything that happened. And then we get, I go back to the Matthew Broderick monologues. It felt like in a, when you're watching a play, like when you're watching like a high school production, like Twelfth Night or you know, some other, you know, Shakespearean effort, but they're high school kids. So they're, they're giving it their all. It wasn't that he was bad per se, but it just felt awkward. Like it felt like who, 
I mean, I get why he's talking like this. I get why, you know, he's having this conversation with God, but it's not funny. Like I did the only line, the best line was in the trailer. The whole, I talked to God. It's actually sounded like Ferris Bueller when he said it, you know, and he's never mentioned you funny. I talked to God all the time and he's never mentioned you. That's a good line. That's the there only was one lots of, the, of those, that, dude. No, there wasn't. You missed them because you weren't paying attention. I, ladies and gentlemen, exhibit A, <laughs> C and D, exhibit A, right here, kids, because this movie is not that good. It's it's uneven. It's beautiful. I mean, it is a beautifully shot movie, hands down. I cannot argue that. Uh, Vittorio Storero, fantastic DP, fantastic work. Yeah, and I do want to point out a couple of things about that that I loved because I agree with you. This the, the film was shot amazing. Okay, well we'll agree scene, on that. And well, and the and the setting was was amazing. Yeah, so that was part the of it. Of they got, but one of the things I loved about it is when uh, they shot it, even between the day and night scenes, because obviously there's a lot of night scenes because Michelle Pfeiffer's character Isabeau is only out at night, and they did a lot of the daytime shots that they filtered out to look like day, to look like night. Um, the, one of the things I remembered about this movie as a kid and rewatching it just reaffirmed was this is a very dark tinted movie. And I am, as, as you and I've talked about several different times throughout the course of these, these 70 episodes is I'm, I'm a big fan of how movies are colored. So exactly how the colors of the film are played as part of the storyline or the baseline of the story to set the tone and the mood that really resonates with me. Uh, second only really to, to music, which to me is the biggest, um, one of the bigger plays in, in any so, film. So, well, real quick, so just so I'm clear, the visuals and the auditory elements are, in fact, what make a movie for you. No, no, you're oversimplifying. The score, <laughs> or the music, and the tint. So kind of the coloration, like what palette is the... Oh, wait, I'm getting way too artsy-fartsy here. But, um, the, like, we, we talked about with Star Wars versus Empire versus Jedi... Mm-hmm the different palettes that were used in those. I mean, mm-hmm. those set different tones. So in this one, I felt like this was a very muddy, um, uh, very gray. And really? I, liked so I actually thought there was a lot of, like, golden, like... Uh, they, they were accented, though. I mean, those, those stood out and, because yeah. most of the other stuff was very dark. I mean, you think about when they come across... At one point, they... Um, uh, Philippe and Navarre are riding through the countryside, and they come across, like, apparently, like, a beggar's or, or pauper's little farmer's... Uh, house hovel yeah yeah yeah, uh, as you were and uh all of that is kind of evening still because it's not quite night it's sunset ish yeah but it's all kind of wet and murky color and the trees are gray and even the the clothes that they're wearing now that's contrasted by when you go to the bishop's castle there are lots of whites and golds and things but most of the movie is outside and kind of has that that tone to it which i really really enjoyed so um that it actually set a very nice tone, but I think um, the way they did the night shots was also very good because it felt light enough. You could see what was going on, but it didn't feel like a fake uh, night. Yeah. You know, where, where it's like, Oh look, there's shadows all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and, and I do just want to point out, I actually didn't hate the movie, which is kind of bad because it (laughs) fell into the land of the opposite of love is apathy. Like I didn't care. Uh, Like I kind of wanted to like just hate it. And then, okay, I'm passionately hating it. But no, I couldn't even hate it. Like, it was like, yeah, okay. Honestly, if we weren't doing this for the show, I would have cut this off after about 40 minutes like I did when I was a kid. I, I would have lasted a little longer, so it's good to know the ADD's gotten better. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and, I, and, I'm, and let me be clear. 
because I like arguing with you. Let me be God clear. Why I have no uh, no explanation for that. But I I'm not saying this is one of the best movies of the '80s. I'm not saying it's one of my favorite movies. I'm just saying I really enjoyed it, and I understand that there are, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. I am. I don't even know. I don't think it is. I, I will. I will actually defend you against yourself here, my friend. I don't think it's <laughs> a, I. I think honestly. I think you come in with a certain, this is, what was the movie we did not that long ago that I admitted like later, like, yeah, you know what, the more I think about it, it had to be C&D, but I don't give a shit. It, I love, love it anyway. Yeah, yeah, God, it was one not that long ago where I was championing, you're like, eh, and, and, and ultimately it came down to, I had such a, 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 this emotional attachment to it because of all the other memories it brought about, you know, watching it, that that was part of the, whether, you know, we were conscious of that or not. That's part of what the whole C and D thing is about to me is that it you do in fact attribute other things to it. You may not even be realizing you are that somebody comes into it cold, no emotional baggage at all because you know didn't watch it as a yeah. kid. Didn't actually my yeah. my only emotional connection to it was I didn't really wasn't interested. That, was that Judgment Night? Yes. No. No. Maybe it was. I don't know. It was one like that, though. It was maybe like Hiding Out. Yeah, you know, it may have been Hiding Out. It was like those, ki- yeah, there was a couple of those types of movies where it was like, I know they are flawed. I get it. I don't care. I still really like them. And this movie, to me, it wasn't that it was really flawed because it was competently made. Like I said, it was beautiful. But in minus, the, well, yeah, minus yeah. the music, it yep. was competently made. And it was well acted in the whole nine yards. It just... As a story, I didn't. I just honestly just didn't give a crap. Like, and I think it comes down to the way it was structured because the focal point was that secondary sidekick character, and we're seeing it through his eyes. I, I just didn't. I felt detached from the real drama. The whole point to a movie, generally speaking, or any real great story where it's about the narrative. And it's, and this is a mainstream movie. This isn't some art house flick. Okay, Donner yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. make art house film. These are big popcorn mainstream movie so the whole goal is to have an audience so immersed in the world that they empathize they connect with your main character and that they get caught up in what the character they want what the character wants even if in real life there's no way they would want that it doesn't matter that's a, that's where the emotional connection comes in because this the character we're ultimately connecting with on that front because he is in fact the main character is mouse and i didn't care enough i was like He'd make a good secondary character, but his goals, his reason for being, and and why he's helping them. I mean, I get it, but I don't care. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand. But and... but then again, I also acknowledge it would be really friggin' hard to have Rucker Howard be the main character because his ass turns into a wolf for half the movie. Yeah, <laughs> you <well>. know, <laughs> we're gonna do like you know, the Journey of Natty <laughs> Gan or friggin' you know. <laughs> Rin Tin Tin K9 Cop. I don't know what the hell. I mean, you know. I, I love the journey of Natty Candy. I, I don't even know why the hell I just <laughs> that popped into my head. Although Meredith Salinger. Or the Wilderness I, Family. We've got to talk about that. Oh, I loved that movie. I was like, I, I'm worried that that would be C&D. I think that well, would. you've got to rewatch it. It's not too bad as C&D. I will tell you one thing about Wilderness Family is that it, for some reason, seems to be the boom mic movie because every fifth scene, you're like, oh, look, boom mic. I never and, I, see C&D. I don't remember that as a child. I just, and I watched it with my kids probably about three or four months ago. And by about minute 15, I had the kids going, oh, there's the boom mic. I see the boom mic. <laughs> did, um, so, did, is, it on, uh, is it on DVD? Uh, it is on DVD. Oh. Yes, it is, in fact, on DVD. So, awesome. All right, cool. Um, Wilderness Family. So anyway, um, I can completely understand that. And, and I, don't, I don't feel like this was one of those amazingly engaging 
uh, character pieces. I fully admit that one of the reasons I love it is I like Matthew Broderick's style mm-hmm. and I like his delivery. And so where at times it seemed like it wasn't 100% fit to the character, it still to me was entertaining because I'm really entertained by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I just harbor this resentment that I've never actually been able to see him on Broadway with. So You harbor a resentment, do you? Hmm. So... <laughs> Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out, what the hell was up with the transformations? I mean, being that they were a kind of a uh, integral part, you never really see them do it until towards what transformations? The, the characters into the animals. Like, I yeah, was, there's no transformation. Yeah, it was like, what the hell? Like, especially, it was, I mean, towards the end, you kind of see the whole light. They suddenly turn into, like, the, the aliens from Cocoon. Uh, but I didn't, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like, what? What, you just, oh, and by the way, I'd always heard the story that, you saw uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, um, how can I say this eloquently? Uh, yeah, you say your titties. <laughs> I always remember hearing that as a kid. Like, oh, you should have stayed because uh, it's like I was watching. I was like, I don't know what was it when you took the arrow out of her? Because that's a bit of a stretch. There, unless the version we rewatched was a, had a cut to it or something. I don't know. I just I always had heard that that because remember yeah. back that back then was when you'd occasionally have a PG movie that had more in it than eh. PG thirteen yeah yeah so eh yeah. but I still I mean you know oh and, but, and by the way um she she sure got over her injury fast didn't she the arrow thing like I get the impression it was like the next morning and she was able to just fly off Which, oh yeah because when you transform back it heals you really. Yeah, because Rutger Hauer got shot with one, and you never saw him limp or See, remember? Well, that's true. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll give you that, but I, although I will argue <laughs> that that is an unexplained element that yes. is a bit of a stretch. But at least, okay, at least, if I'm willing to accept they'll turn into animals, I can accept that. Yep. But true. but I will not accept, um, after she flies off after said injury in the morning, he shoots a, he, he shows up like instantaneously, shoots one of the knights or the, the soldiers with an arrow, and he's fully dressed. He would have just turned back into a man. How do you get dressed that fast? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I know what you're talking about. I'm coming up with an explanation. Um, he fell asleep that night as a dog in his clothes. of his clothes in a sack and pulled it on a sled as a dog to get to the castle. Mm. And then when he transformed back, he got changed real quick. Okay. And the wolf <laughs> in the trap that uh, the uh, Alfred Molina character lays. Yes. He, he gets caught in a trap by his leg, falls down, and then he runs over to it, and it just lays there. I'm like, uh, pretty confident that dude would have just gotten ripped up because that dog ain't going to be dead yet. Yeah, there were, it almost felt like to me at that scene there was a little bit of an editing error there because it, he would have had to have gone in and killed it. Yeah, that's what, yeah I'm guessing but, he did. And yeah. and then he gets the— Oh, but I, go I got to say, that was the best death scene of the entire movie. Of the because tra- you're trapped they the face? These, Yes, he has this. They look like what you'd see a bear trap in an old Looney Tunes, but instead of uh, the triangular teeth in the bear trap, there were these spikes, and he lays them all over trying to catch uh, Navarre's character, or, or I mean, Riker House character Navarre, and when he's in the wolf form, and uh, he catches a wolf. Isabeau thinks it's it's Navarre. She goes over there, no, and and he's like, get away, and then she sees, oh, guess what? Navarre's really out in the woods. He's safe, so she kind of pushes Cesar get away and he falls headfirst into said bear trap. Did that really kill him though? It went around his neck. Oh did I thought he just hit him in the skull. I mean I was thinking I might crush his skull but 
No, and he was choking and, and it was around his neck and his head. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she's just kind of sitting there watching him. And it was, it was good. Deaths. Well, and, and one last thing in the going to your ending uh, that you're like, oh, you didn't feel anything. My exact note for the ending was zero fireworks, zero fanfare. <laughs> So that tells you surprised by the lunar eclipse. No night, no day. Not really. I figured it had to be some kind of eclipse for that riddle to make any sense. And then uh, I would also like to point out, and this is again a basic story thing. Why, when Matthew Broderick's character Mouse runs in, did he he had the sword? Right? Didn't he have Rooker Howard's sword? Is that what he pulled out from under the wagon? Okay. he told him at one point it was lost in the river, okay. and then he hid it under the wagon so that at the right moment he could slide okay. it out onto so, the lo- concrete lo- and they could roll around on it. So, no, so if you've never seen this movie, in which case we spoiled the crap out of it for you, so you don't need to, um, <laughs> wouldn't it stand to reason, based on everything you know about storytelling, if you're going to have that emotional buildup, that therefore that sword, that one, is going to, I don't know, kind of be a focal point on some level? With the final kills of the main bad guys? It is. That's the one he killed the bishop with. But but here's the problem. That is true. But the it's thrown to him. When it's thrown to him, he's still fighting the guy that, I guess, took his place as the captain of the guard. Yeah. Who's, the, the, uh, the captain of the guards got him down, got Rooker Howard down, w- walks past that sword. Why? Why would, oh, He had to have his sword? Like I, could... I didn't make that. I actually made that note. Because when Philippe slides out Navarre's sword, it's this big, giant battle sword, sort of like what was in... Um, um, Braveheart, you know, the yeah, one with huge, the, yeah. like an extra spikes on a big, huge one. He slides it out. The two of them are fighting and wrestling on the ground. <laughs> the bad captain actually walks over that big giant sword yeah, to get his over. little half-sized sword. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and and, and Navarre's down. All you do is pick up the sword and stab him. But here's where here's the problem. By doing that, then Navarre obviously does this, actually a pretty cool move, I'll give him that, where he, the guy, he rolls really close rolls to him over, as the guy brings the, the sword down, hits the concrete. Yeah, yeah, he rolls back, knocks out of his hands, and then uses that to kill him. Fine, except it should have been his sword. The guy just picked up his sword. Then he'd have that sword in his hand. He could look down at the, the, the jewel, and he moves towards the bishop. But there's no emotional connection to the sword that he uses even to kill. Like, he needed to—as soon as he takes up that sword, he even said that sword was his last connection to his honor, right? Right. So if either A, don't push it to him so damn soon— so Well, that, that, was, that was my definite complaint on that was— he slid it out. They fought for a good two or three minutes with it oh, laying yeah. there on yeah. the floor. Yeah. I'm like, if you want to build up a little drama, slide it to him at a point where he has to reach for it or it's exactly. just at but the right moment. But that's what I thought they were doing. Or... And it's like, uh, and, that was, and here's the problem. I'm too busy thinking about that going, yeah, why is he, what? Wait, why are you punching him? Wait, you're walking away from the sword. Wait, come back. God damn it. The sword's right there. And, you know, yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. But he killed the bishop with that sword by... Yeah, did he? Yeah, he threw it at him. I knew he threw a sword and that's how he killed him, but I'm saying, is that the sword he used, or did he just keep... Yes. Oh, that's right, because he stabbed the other guy and left it in him, right? Yep. Okay, and he that, threw yeah. that big sword at him yeah. and stabbed him and threw... I may have been. Which... I may have developed narcolepsy during that part. <laughs> that was one of the moments where I had... It's like, okay, wait a second. You're building this whole thing up that you can't kill the bishop and because you have to base him both of you in your human form to break the curse and i thought the build-up to that point was navarre learning his lesson that vengeance was yeah, the yeah. answer oh no never and mind guess what he got to kill him anyway and then the breaking of the curse it was so like <laughs> nothing 
Like, you would think, would you think, okay, these people turn into friggin' animals. Wouldn't there be, like, some kind of effect, something that would happen between them? They, the, the, the cocoon effect would have something. Some light or, yeah. yeah you, it's like, because, oh, I kept thinking, okay, did it break? Did it break? Did it break? Okay, he looked at them. Well, and they had Father Imperius. He's the one that had to break it, which was the storytelling. It was, he, he was like, it's broken. Oh, wait, we had to have the crazy looking old. Tell us it's broken. Why can't you show something a little? Yeah, because it is. God a... damn you! You're making me not like this movie. Shut up. <laughs> and, I love and, this. and the last. Oh, this may make you love it though, because I did have a a moment. So very very end. He, he and Isabeau have done their you know dirty dancing lift moment, and <laughs> and, <yes. laughs> and Mouse and the, the father, whatever the hell he was. Um, what was the guy's name again? Imperious. Yeah, Imperious. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Which totally sounds French, by the way. Imperials. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> All right, so they're walking behind. I guess they're just supposed to be like extras in the church or maybe, you know, clergy or something in the church. And yes, there's like two of yes. these guys standing there. These guys, Mouse and uh, Imperius, walk behind them, and uh, Navarre looks at them and goes, you two, come here. And I totally had in my head that it should have been like a naked gun moment where the two clergy guys kind of look at each other and go, like, do the show. Like, oh, okay. And they start walking forward. No, not you. <laughs> Don't, yeah, no, like that. Like it's, I, I was expecting, uh, I was expecting that to happen. That would have, that would have actually been hilarious. <laughs> but it didn't, and I was a little sad. Yeah, because they were kind of hiding behind this line of monks. Yeah, and... it, was, it was the way they lined it up because he's looking right at yeah. the two clergy. They, I, I imagine like, like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know why he wants this, but yeah. So, uh, Jay, any final words on uh, Lady Hawk before we get to our movie picks? You're a goob. I'm a goob. That's You're a goob. That's the best you got. I'm a goob. I I got all kinds of curse words running in my head, but <laughs> yeah, especially since I actually started to convince you otherwise. All right, let's go on. This then. movie kicked ass. If I had been driving a car while this movie was playing in the background, that's what the final sound would have been. Not because I was watching a movie while driving, but because I fell asleep at the wheel. So, Jay, what is your movie peak? Yeah, so I thought about the people in this. I thought about the director, Richard Donner, we talked about. And and some of them were just so big, I didn't want to reach back to something we'd already covered or already talked about. So something that stood out to me, as I mentioned, is the visual, the style of this movie. So I wanted to pick something similar from my childhood that I remember at least seeing parts of um, because this was one of those rare films. And I've talked about this short list. It's probably like eight films I was not allowed to see as a child. And this was one of them. Uh, I, I've, I've hence seen parts. I've never seen it from beginning to end, but I've seen a bunch of it. Uh, one of those I've seen every bit of it at some point, just not from beginning to end in one sitting. And that is Excalibur ah. from 1981. Full, full confession, bro. I haven't seen it either. And I do know um, that that one also contains boobies. I remember that was a big Yes, deal. that I think is why I wasn't allowed to watch it uh, when I was a kid. It wasn't the mass killing and slashing no, swords. No, that's okay because I could watch Terminator. And You got lo- to love American parenting. <laughs> <laughs> sure, son. Wait. Watch that movie with the chainsaw thing and the uh, killing all the oh, co-eds. Boob? No. Whoa, whoa, wait. You wait for See? that once. No more. <laughs> you, what do you mean there's a nipple? Uh, Decapitation? Uh, Pulling oh, their fingernails off? Oh, that's fine. Okay. Shoot him in the face. Ask I'm okay Chico. with that. You're not ready for that, boy. 
Uh, so it's it's basically the retelling of, of the story of Arthur uh, and uh, Merlin and where the sword Excalibur came from, Arthur and his great his bastard great son uh, Arthur, and so it's a retelling of that story in a very gritty, very dirty um, telling. But it it seems to me, obviously, you may have been there. I wasn't in the medieval times. But um, it seems like it feels like a movie would that more from that. It's very authentic feel and color and dirty and heavy. And the, the battle scenes are much like you mentioned that they're walking around like got a dump in their pants because they're in full suits of armor and it's kind of clunky and awkward. But uh, it, it's the movie I'd like to watch again from beginning to end. We might have to even add it to the mm-hmm. list. But um, it's got some pretty good names in it. Helen Mirren mm. uh, plays Morgana and, and – She's hot. And uh, uh, Nicholas Williamson and Gabriel Byrne. Ah. You know where he was from? Usual Suspects. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yes, he was. Oh, he was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he yeah. was. And he was, <laughs> yeah. he was in uh, End of Days. He did a lot of TV. And, and um, anyway, he's a, a very cool guy. I like him. Yeah. But this is also uh, similar to you and I talked about a more recent movie called Valhalla Rising, mm. uh, which is a, a newer movie, independent film. The guy who of, did uh, Driv- uh, Drive, right? Yes, the same guy who did Drive, which had similar um, rhythm to it because I've not seen Drive yet, but you talked about where it's very quiet, but then it gets very graphically violent. Yeah, that's an understatement. So Valhalla Rising is very similar to that, um, but Excalibur to me is is the flavor is very similar um, because it's also that muddy, dirty, uh, gritty feel to the way the film was shot, which I really like. And any of the medieval kind of films that uh, feel too clean to me, they they just take me out of the the time period. I mean, if it feels just too New York City, yeah, uh, a la London in the twelve hundreds, then it just doesn't do it for me. At least Knight's Tale, while it was kind of a modern take, it still felt the peasants felt dirty. Well, and, and, and Knight's Tale was actually fun and had energy. Unlike yes, this other movie. And actually, uh, Nicholas, uh, is it winding or winding? He's a Dane, like our buddy Peter, so he's from Denmark. Yep. He's the director. Yes. Of, uh, uh, so it's a great a film, I definitely. Um, and and uh, the director of um, Excalibur was, was John Borman, yep. who we talked about before as well. So um, the Deliverance and... Uh, oh, yeah, Deliverance. I completely forgot that was the other one I was trying to remember. Yes, I love, yes. That's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. And he's done a lot. He's also done a lot of uh, TV production and some others. But So anyway, my pick is Ex, uh, Excalibur 1981. Great pick, my friend. I'm going to make this quick. I got thinking about it, went through everybody, went through Vittorio Storero, uh, and I was going to be really just obnoxious about it and pick something like, you know, Last Tango in Paris or <laughs> Little Buddha. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to keep it real. I'm going with our buddy Richard Donner's debut picture, The Omen from 1976. Ah. Oh. A horror movie that... For the most part, it's a bit uneven in a couple points, but it, for the most part, gets it right. If you don't know the story, keep it simple. It stars Gregory Peck, and he plays, uh, I believe it's an ambassador. Um, he's in Rome. He and his wife, uh, played by the lovely Lee Remick, uh, they have a son named Damien. <laughs> mm-hmm. Note to self, don't <laughs> name your flipping kid <laughs> Damien. Now, to be fair, yes. 
this is really the movie that made Damien a bad name to name your kid. Yeah, but doesn't it kind of sound, and no offense if your kid's named Damien, I'm just being a bit of a dick, which, you know, <laughs> par for the course. Uh, but doesn't it kind of like just sound like there might be a problem? I mean, it's kind of close to Demon. I'm not saying it is Demon. I'm saying it's close. <laughs> um, you know? Yeah, no comment, because I actually had a bully through elementary school named Damien. Actually, and, um, and said, said bully kind of, the good thing about that bully is he didn't have like a he really hard life. Born. He he had a really hard life and didn't really accomplish anything and really learned his lesson, I'm sure. <laughs> right? I'm sure, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's not selling crack somewhere, I'm sure. So <laughs> Might be taking it. Yes, so, uh, yes. The Omen, uh, Gregory Peck, ambassador in Rome, they have the son. Well, as the story progresses, it turns out Damien may or may not be the literal Antichrist. And... Of course, could it be Satan? Satan? Yeah, that's special. <laughs> so it has a fantastic score. It's creepy. It's how Jerry Goldsmith yes. did the score. He's one of my top tier uh, yeah, composers. Fantastic, fantastic yeah. movie score. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Obviously, Richard Donner was his directorial debut. Fantastic yeah. cast. Yeah, David Warner uh, plays this sort of, I don't think he's supposed to be a demonologist, but I think he may be a reporter, a journalist. It's been a while. But he helps Gregory Peck's character, and they're, they're, some of the kills in it are, are pretty shocking. And I think most yeah. of it, for the most part, holds up. I also like it has this very kind of you know nightmarish, ethereal uh, feel and tone in parts with just when they're in like the graveyard. There's just lots of really cool things about the yeah. movie. So The Omen, 1976, con- conveniently the year I was born. <laughs> no connection, <laughs> I swear. No connection whatsoever. You saw it in utero. Yes, no uh, connection that same. my middle name may start with a D. Actually, it starts with a G and has no Douche relation. Douchebag. Yes. How did Robertson. You know? Got it. All right, I'm good. Dic- it, it's actually French. It's Dickied. Dickied? <laughs> yeah, but it's your Dickied. It's, it's, no, wait, it's, it's German. Isn't it? A sweepe? A sweepe? A sweepe? Yeah. A sweepe. A swipe? What? <laughs> yes, so The Omen, 1976. Sick. <laughs> that was a pretty <laughs> Check it out one time, won't you? So, Jay, what do you got? Any 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 contact info? Any knowledge? Any 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 important announcements you'd like to make? No, I think I'm done. I think, I think we're... Okay, well, on that note, done. we're out. Good night, folks. Um... Oh, wait, oh. Oh, okay. No, seriously. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> if you're still here, you idiots. Um, no, <laughs> um, if you are still here, by all means, check us out on ForgottenFlix.com. We are on Netflix. Uh, I am at FlixSideKick. Joel is FlixSideKick. Did you say we're on Netflix? Twitter. Oh, I think we're on Netflix. I was thinking Flix. We're on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> we're you are on Netflix. I am at FlixSideKick, yes. not at Netflix. We're not there. Yeah, not that'd yet. be kind of fun, wouldn't it? And, of course, we cannot forget to thank our buddy Kevin Spencer for the amazing show arts. You can check his art out at inkspatters.com and, of course, on Facebook at The Art of Kevin Spencer. And we uh, also want to thank JV. We're still using those spoiler alerts, buddy. So jvmail.com. Check his stuff out. So thanks so much to Kevin and JV. Yes. You can check us out on iTunes. If you haven't already, please give us a rating and leave us some reviews. And you can email us. I am Jason at ForgottenFlix.com. Joel is Joel at ForgottenFlix.com. And uh, be sure to check out a lot of the awesome stuff that's on the website, including show art by Kevin Spencer, who we already mentioned, uh, Peter Nielsen's retro movie reviews, and Maggie has some uh, very cool uh, movie party stuff on there. And, and Jason, I hear that an old segment 
that was <laughs> unfortunately left by the wayside by a really, really lazy ass writer is coming lazy back. Lazy <laughs> ass. Yes. Uh, deep fried cheese is coming back. And there are a couple reasons for that. Um, one, I've been watching a lot of very cheesy old sci-fi movies. And, and two, we love TGI it. Fridays or chilies. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, but the other thing is I have been uh, given access to uh, movies coming out on sci-fi before they come out. So I'm going to blend new cheese like Arachnoquake and Jersey Shore Shark Attack Dear starring God. Joey Fatone. I mean, come on. I have to be honest with you. There may be an integrity issue here. That might be th- – there's almost like a moral – problem i have with even allowing a review unless it's going to rip it a new one just on general principle i just don't even know if i want the words jersey shore because maybe somebody theoretically somebody could search for jersey shore you know 10 years hence and and come and come across the site and and i just i don't know if i can live with that (laughs) okay but i also have on the list piranha from 2010 how can you not allow me to review elizabeth shoe and and piranhas and boobies i mean really there, there was that in that movie that movie's PG-13, right? So I'm going to blend it in with a little bit of old cheese. So yes. we'll do some 50s and 60s, um, including Ega. Oh, yeah. And Women of Shark Reef. Nice. D61. So um, it is coming back. I've got uh, coming up soon. You'll see a list of the titles we're going to cover. And um, I'm going to have a blend going back and forth with some of those. Um, but that's not the biggest news of uh, the day, my friend. What's, what's the biggest news, Jason? The biggest news is we are lazy as some bitches. Um, oh, that. <laughs> no, we actually uh, have wrestled with this for a number of weeks. And uh, for the duration of the summer months, because we both, um, I know this is stunning for most of you, don't get paid to do this. Uh, actually uh, other, than a, the, other, than the, other than the handful of unbelievably generous well, okay. Bribes. I mean donations. Now, now let me Which, by the way, last one was from Doug. Thank you, Doug. Yes. If, if you're listening. Um, we get amazing donations that help cover the cost of the podcast. Let me be clear. We take none of that. Like, I don't spend that on beer. No, it's going towards hosting MP3 files, basically. <laughs> yes. Um, so we really don't take pay from any of those donations. It definitely helps the podcast. And if you haven't, uh, check out the donation button on the website. We'd love to have those. But that's just to help pay for what we do. We don't, you know, we've actually got day jobs and families and kids. And I know, I know, shut up. We are married. <laughs> I, I know. It's hard to believe. I know. Um, and we so pay we, we've actually decided that for the duration of the summer, we're going to take a week off in between. So we're going back well, to it's our like old what we, Yeah, like what we did at the beginning. We yep, did, we're going to go back to our old schedule of every two weeks putting out an episode. Yep. Um, but that's only temporary. We're not doing it permanently. And, and really, it's going to oh, primarily affect July and August because June. Really, it's just two months. Yeah. Right. Because June, we're going to have next week, you're going to get the. Only missing one day. Yeah, we're going to get the Hank Carlson special effects uh, interview we interview. did. Yep. And then we're going to skip a week. And then the week after that, we're doing Buck, Buck Rubon's Eye. Yep. And then really, it's July and August. Yes. And then September, we're going to come back. Yep. We're going to come back with a vengeance because we are getting ready for. This year's October Spooky Flicks Fest, which yes. is going to be a big event this year. So we, uh, this have... year, yeah, wait, guys, wait for it. This year, there actually are five weeks in October. Remember last, yes, last there year? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, and we forgot oh what you know what we forgot Halloween to also was. say? Wait, almost forgot something. This is also another important announcement. I think this is kind of going to be a bigger deal, at least for a few people who miss us doing this on Wednesdays. Yep. Starting next week, we're going back to oh. Wednesdays. Because yes, quite frankly, 
when we started this whole little experiment of recording on Tuesday, releasing it that Thursday, yeah, that was great for a while, uh, except things happen, so suddenly we're having to record like Wednesday night at 10, and then Big Daddy Joel has to sit up and edit till midnight and get it out, uh, you know what, screw that crap, we're going back to having a week <laughs> delay. And putting it out on Wednesdays, for those of you who need the midweek bump and are tired of meth, so here yeah. we are. Or, we do, or do meth while you listen, actually, is what I say. <laughs> So a couple of changes. We hope it doesn't tear anybody up too badly. Um, we will be back, I swear. So actually, you're only missing a couple of episodes. Uh, the thing I'm actually most distraught by is that it is delaying our 100th episode, which I am very excited to get to. But uh, we will get there eventually, and, and uh, for just the next couple of months, you'll have to suffer through. And, uh, you know, hey, go read some stuff. I know reading what? is... is not our watch, big passion, watch, but watch, you know. No, I, I, I speak for yourself, jackass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what you don't have time to read, Jason? <laughs> I do. It's called the crapper, my friend. Get one. Uh, Sit on it till your feet fall asleep. Okay. <laughs> yes, or, or go. Or At go, my age, that takes like ten minutes. Yeah, so. that's true. With that, <laughs> and go ahead, do that, or you know, I don't know, maybe watch some classic movies. Uh, uh, not uh, late, not Lady Hawk, and no. you know. Have, have, a, have a wonderful summer. And, of course, like we said, we're going to be here. We're just scaling it back just a tad, uh, just yep. for a couple months to kind of catch our breath and uh, kind of get build up because we're going to hopefully do some pretty cool things in uh, October. Yeah, we've got, some, we've got some really awesome stuff lined up for October. And, then, and it uh, gives me a chance to work on the site. It's yeah, we've got it. some transfer stuff to do and all that mess. But uh, So, anyway, don't hate us. If you do, hate Joel, don't hate me. Well, but, that's uh, par for yeah. the course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mainly because I say par for the course a lot. Yes, uh <clears throat> Every week. Yeah. So uh, on that note, my friend, I used to quote fingers just then. Um, <laughs> do you have any final oh. words? <laughs> yes, I swear to God, I'm buying you a, a hawk glove and a hawk for your birthday just to spite you. As long as it comes with an industrial-sized jar of Vaseline, I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs>